welcome to episode 343 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Occasionally On Topic Podcast. I am your temporary host for today, Peter Treisenberg, uh, the maven known as I Have Fury on the interwebs. And um, I am joined today by a lovely crew, including the illustrious Patrick Gann. Hi, everybody. And Audra Bowling, the reviews queen. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So today, dear listeners, we're here to talk about Fabula Nova Chrysalis. Um, Fabula Nova Chrysalis, as I'm sure some of you are aware, was a series of games made by Square Enix during the early uh, 2000s, uh, 2010s, and it was designed to be a kind of overarching mythology uh, that would connect several games in the series. These games include Final Fantasy XIII and its sequels, um, Final Fantasy Type Zero, formerly known as Agito XIII, and Final Fantasy Versus Thirteen, the game that would be re- later be reworked into Final Fantasy XV. Um, each of our listen, our panelists today, we all have a certain degree of experience with these games, and we're going to be going down the different entries in this series and just discussing them today. Um, so before um, we get into the nitty gritty discussions, however, I want to ask each of our panelists, what is your overall experience? Um, and um, opinion on the Fabula Nova Chrysalis branding, starting with you, uh, Pat. Well, I was at E3 2006 when they first revealed the name and the concept. And oh, wow. <laughs> ran trailers for 13 versus 13 in Agito 13. Of the three, I was most excited about versus 13, um, which we're going to touch on at the end there. <laughs> um, as the concept morphed um i was still fairly committed uh to wanting to see what they were doing with this concept and i got really confused somewhere along the lines and i and i never really knew who was in charge of what or where various projects ended up um i never played uh type zero but um or type o but uh, I did play the the thirteen trilogy, and I did go on to play fifteen, uh, because in my heart of hearts, it would always still be versus thirteen. Yeah, I was pretty much in the same boat with you there. Uh, what about you, Audra? What is your past experience with this this sub series of a series? Well, I remember being really intrigued when they first announced them, and I was actually most curious about Agito thirteen, which is ironic because it. Type Zero is the only, it's one of the ones I haven't played yet. All right, interesting. Um, I finally finished Final Fantasy Thirteen about two days ago. I know, I was there. Was, yeah, <laughs> which was great. And I've played Lightning Returns and finished that and played Final Fantasy Fifteen to completion, although I have mixed feelings about that because I did actually want to see what Versus Thirteen was like too. Yeah, yep, you and me both, and uh, we'll get into that a little bit later down the line. But uh, I'm very curious to hear that you you played Lightning Returns, but not a thirteen two. How was that experience? Um, it was pretty good. I feel like they kind of cover a lot of what happened in thirteen two, at least the big plot points in Lightning Returns. 
so I didn't feel like I was missing out too much, although now I do have a copy of 13.2, and I intend to probably go back and play it one day in the future. Yeah, no, honestly, I think it would be, it's probably worth going back to. But yeah, it's interesting. I haven't played Lightning Returns in so long that I um, really didn't remember how well it had set up um, itself or not. I just remember being disappointed by it. But we can, <laughs> But we can get into that a little later down the road. Um, for now, for my, for my money, um, I was, I, I have, we've talked about this a little bit on the Final Fantasy 13 podcast. I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Final Fantasy 13 and its overarching mythos. Um, and conceptually, I do find it very interesting. Um, ex- execution, on the other hand, is a little bit lacking as, as we, as we've seen with these games, the initial concept of Final Fantasy XIII, Agito XIII, and Versus XIII never came to pass. Um, these games would be morphed into different titles over the course of their lifetimes. Thirteen would get two sequels that would kind of muddy the waters a little bit. And um, the, the creator of the Final Fantasy XIII series, the director, Motomo Toriyama, at one point described said he lamented that and I quote, the concept was so vast, it resulted in creating obscure settings and a lack of explanation in the storyline. And to that, I can only say, if your concept is so vast that your stories don't make any sense, maybe you need to readdress your concept a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, in, in general, in general, though, what do, the 13 games and Fabio and Chris in general all have in common are the overarching mythos of the gods, um, Lindsay, Pulse, and Etro, um, the search for Etro's gate, the gateway to the unseen realm or the realm of death, um, and the concept of Falci and Lissi, these um, eldritch entities that bestow powers onto mortal beings, and those mortal beings are then branded for life and given a special task. Um, this is all stuff that Final Fantasy XIII explored in great detail, but the other games in the series have their own interesting spin on the whole things, which we're going to get into now. So let's move on. We're going to talk about Final Fantasy XIII 2 to start, the direct sequel to Final Fantasy XIII that came out, I want to say it came out two years after Final Fantasy XIII, or am I misremembering? I thought it was a 2012 game. Yeah, I think it was about two years later. Yeah. December 15th, 2011 in Japan and February 2012 in America. Okay, great. Cool. I'm not insane. So, Pat, I want actually to give the floor to you for a second because I believe you've... I can't remember if you... I think you said this in a group chat earlier, but didn't you say you platinumed 13-2? Yeah, I platinumed uh, everything we're talking about today except type O. Um... The, oh, that's impressive. That is. Uh, the thirteen two experience to me was a lot of fun because it's it's a time travel game, um, and uh, this will be considered blasphemy, I'm sure. But I think it does time travel better than Chrono Trigger. <gasps> Gasp! It doesn't do storytelling as well as Chrono Trigger <laughs> within no, that's those time frames. Chrono Trigger, you know, wins on plot and character, but I've always had problem with time travel stories where it was like you went and you did a thing in in a, an era, right, a, a a spot in space and time, 
and then it's linear from there. Like branching timelines are like required. And one of my favorite, a lot of visual novels do this well these days. I know Audrey, you and I played the, uh, what were those games? Uh, Ash and Hawk and Black Butterfly, the psychedelic yes. games. They did that well. Um, the Zero Escape games, especially Virtue's Last Reward, broke out their branching timelines extremely well. Chrono Trigger, you don't do that. And like, imagine if you did, you know, imagine if like, like you broke out like one event where like, you know, in 12,000 BC, you have the option to kill or spare Magus. Like, what if there are events that you could pursue both based on what your party is doing? Like, I'll go back and I'll spare him, but then I'll also go back a second time and kill him or the other way around and have these different branching uh, opportunities go through. So in 13.2, there was that concept that they introduced pretty early in the game where you could sort of like reset a gate and play through it again and try doing different things or beating a boss a different way. And it might open a new path. And then you get these branching timelines and uh, they lead to all kinds of different things. Some of them lead to really good bonus dungeons and fights further down the future. Uh, and others lead to like secret endings that can be really silly or really uh, sad. Um, and I think you had to do a lot of this kind of retreading and trying things a different way to get to the game's main ending. So from that perspective, it makes more sense to me. Like the idea that, yeah, you could revisit a time and just do things differently and it would just sort of break out another dimension. And if people are like, well, Chrono Trigger's story just wasn't meant to do that. To that, I say uh, Chrono Cross, right? The whole, <laughs> I was thinking that. I the didn't... entirety of Chrono Cross yeah. is like, oh, we have a different dimension now because in one of them, Surge lived. Uh-oh, let's send the time police to put a stop to it. That was kind of what 13, yeah, uh, thirteen two and Chrono Cross do have in common in that regard is that, yeah, it's they, they are about exploring the consequences of decisions and consequences of changes in the timeline. Exactly. And I think Trigger didn't do that. And Cross isn't a time travel game. It's a dimension hopping game as a result of one thing that wasn't even a choice. It's just like an anomaly that happened, I think. Um, never quite understood that. I need to go play the game again. I know it just got remastered and it's only 20 bucks. It's definitely worth revisiting. And that's that's a whole another discussion for another day. But yeah. um one thing listeners might be a little confused about if you've listened to the Final Fantasy Thirteen podcast and are now curious to jump into the sequel, um, Final Fantasy Thirteen Two, in my humble opinion, is not a very good sequel to Thirteen. However, it is a very interesting game in its own right. It is, as Pat has expounded upon, a time travel story now, um, and a pretty interesting one. Um, Essentially, Lightning, after at the conclusion of Final Fantasy XIII, has gone missing, and her sister Sarah, now living on um, on Pulse with the survivors from the fall of Cocoon, um, meets a time-traveling hero named Noel, who claims to know her sister. And she winds up embarking on this time-traveling journey with Noel, in order to find her sister. And along the way, she inc they encounter this villainous man named Caius, who is one of the coolest Final Fantasy villains in the whole series' history. Like, regardless of my problems with 13-2's story, Caius is not one of them. That man is awesome. 
He's pretty cool. He's voiced by Liam O'Brien, and he can turn into Bahamut. <laughs> Outside of those aspects, I think, you know, what makes Caius um, a sympathetic or even relatable villain is the tragedy that he's involved in with mm-hmm. this other character, Yule, who has uh, a particular problem going for her, which uh, Sarah, in turn, also has or will have going for her. Um which is like she has to die at age 20 because she has this um, gift of like prophecy or foretelling um, that I think she got from Etro. Yes. Yes. It was, um, it was a, it was a blessing slash curse from Etro, um, the goddess of death that kind of serves as one of the main instigators of 13-2's plot. Yeah. Etro is like, is very much, central to 13-2, like, whereas Lightning Returns, like, the centrality is on Buna Velza. Um, 13-2 is, is very much, like, Etro time, right? Yes, Buna Velza being the creator god that created the, the Pulsian and Cocoon deities. Yeah. So, I gotta say, like, I, I disagree with you about it being a bad sequel. That's um, fair. <laughs> I, I think a sequel that would have just put us with the same party, the same characters might not have done as well. I think making them uh, secondary, um, you know, one of my favorite things about 13.2 in terms of like combat is that it maintains the three party system, or yeah, the three party member system um, with the six roles, everything uh, that was good about 13, which they didn't like really give you until like chapter 10 or 11. It takes a long calls. time. Yes. Yeah, yeah, amazing combat system from thirteen, but uh, for most of the game, you only have two characters at a time, and it's like, well, thanks for wasting this good combat system. Oh no, I agree. So I agree, I agree too. Thirteen two doesn't have that problem because pretty quickly, probably within the first hour or two, uh, Sarah and Noel are together, and then it's like, hey you can recruit monsters for slot three and the monsters that you recruit uh, have one of the defined roles. And then, so if you want to be switching out, like the switching out is mostly the monsters. You Sorry to interrupt. So you have like medic monsters and commando monsters and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great. And then uh, I think for certain parts of the game, like the main characters, from 13 can swap in for that third spot like you know isn't snow in for a one part in like the jungles like a hundred years yeah yeah the bit with all the flan yeah he's in there yeah you're just riding on top of like this big thing and it's like this auto scroller snow's Snow's redesign in 13.2 is a choice yeah yeah (laughs) not necessarily a fan of that one I'd much prefer his Lightning Returns outfit where he gets a pimping suit. Yeah, yeah, he's he's real. I really like him in LR. He's real handsome. But I, you know, I really like I I like this back and forth of like like in this sort of meta sense, right? So in in mm-hmm. base thirteen, like Lightning's primary motivation is I want to save my sister, and Sarah's primary motivation in thirteen two is I want to save my sister, and then in Lightning Returns. <laughs> Lightning's primary motivation is I want to save, save my sister. sister. <laughs> and then it turns into and also 
like the universe and like everyone's souls and stuff, which is pretty intense. It definitely uh, escalates a little yeah. bit. That's for dang sure. Yeah. Um, I do, I do enjoy the monster collecting aspect of 13-2. That is always something I've been very fond of in JRPGs, you know, kind of like your Dragon Quest Vs. See, Solosi, if you're listening to this episode, 13-2 is like Dragon Quest V. You should play it. Um. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's so much, I think, right. So s- story is a little questionable, though I think, I think it's you handle time travel in a story, it's not easy. I think there's a lot of, like, these like sort of generic quests with NPCs that I could not care less about, which I think also is a problem with Lightning Returns. Yeah, thirteen two yes. and Lightning Returns were both made as a direct response to the main criticisms of thirteen. That is to say, this game is too linear. This game does not have NPCs. This game does not have any real side quests. Um, and also, I believe they directly wanted to um, incorporate some elements of Western RPGs since that was where the market was headed at the time. To the point that they added Mass Effect DLC to thirteen two. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, I kind of like those. Uh, I like those skins. I did actually like Sarah's outfit in particular. It was quite cool in that one. Yeah, but that yeah that push to be more Western was kind of silly. Um, but I don't think thirteen two lost the the game's identity too much mostly because uh 13 was already sort of like uh meandering its way through they had a lot to build upon (laughs) right so if you think about 13 2 as as this big big narrative that that spans time and place there's a lot of places that you get to visit um but it's the story about Etro and Etro's effect on humanity and how humanity, uh, you know, wants to grapple with uncertainty by having answers. Uh, and like, if we had that opportunity, like, do you really want it? Cause like, look at the awful fate that Yule has. And then the awful fate that Caius has as her like protector and mm-hmm. like how tormented he is by just having to see he's, he talks about like in certain, monologues where he's just like like i've seen her die so many times like you because he, he doesn't it isn't just that he lives this linear life he also goes back and keeps trying to save her which mm-hmm. is another one of those like keep trying to go back in time and do things because he through his own way has access through time yeah alongside being like badass in terms of his villainy like you can understand why he experiences so much emotional pain and turmoil He's very in keeping with Final Fantasy XIII's core theme of fighting fate or defying fate. Because um, Caius is also fighting a never-ending struggle to free Yule from Etro's um, uh, curse. Um, and th- there is a wonderful scene from this, this game where he's holding her lifeless body and he just kind of whispers to himself, like, how much longer must we endure this? Yeah. And, and and again, O'Brien's performance absolutely sells what this character is going through, and it's probably one of the reasons that I think he's such a strong villain in the series' history. It's 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 the central antagonist that Thirteen was lacking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'll just outright say it. So, Thirteen Two is my favorite of the trilogy. It also has this might be blasphemy because actually, Masashi Hamuzu is one of my favorite composers. 
but he actually contributed of the trilogy. He contributed the least to thirteen two. Thirteen two is mostly uh, Naoshi Mizuta, uh, who's known for doing like everything Final Fantasy eleven, and Mitsuto Suzuki, who sort of like the trance EDM expert over at Square Enix. Um, somehow they managed to channel the soundscape of the first 13 incredibly well. And I actually think 13.2, as a result, has the best soundtrack. And It is a wonderful soundtrack. And I think the vocal themes are a big part of that. Yule's theme and Noel's theme. Uh, Noel's theme, um, if if I could see the vocalist Kokia perform that like live with an orchestra, like I would pay thousands of dollars I love to Kokia. I would, <laughs> like, that song makes me cry. And like without fail, every time I hear it, that line where beginning of verse two, where she uh, sings the line, um, hunting, searching for futures I've dreamed. And she does this like vibrato oscillation on the word dreamed. Like if that doesn't like crack your soul open, like you must have armor that I don't understand. It is a very good song. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So musically, and I mean, just aesthetically overall, musically and visually, like this is a game that can really, if you choose to invest in it, if you're, if you're looking for it, there's just so much good in this game. And one last thing I want to say about the plot that it probably took me years to realize this is what they were doing. Like Nolan and Sarah are like, they're basically, they're like a variant of, of Caius and Yule. They just don't know it yet. Yeah, no, that's definitely, they're definitely intended to mirror each other with Sarah and Yule having the same gift and Noel and Caius having similar backgrounds and coming from the same place. They were both hunters from the end of the world and all that, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, they're definitely supposed to mirror each other. And then um, um, uh, it's kind of unfortunate that they didn't really go anywhere with that in Lightning Returns, which we'll get into. Um, Yeah, I think the the biggest tragedy about 13.2 is you get... Uh, this this awful, like very tragic surprise ending sequence, and you assume that Lightning Returns is really going to dig into that, and it it kind of dances around it instead. But that, I mean, we'll go to that next. But um, I wish it, I wish there was a more direct correlation. But they were trying to, I think they were trying to bite off so many things with Lightning Returns um, that you know. The whole idea of like there were four main places, and like the Knoll part was just one part, and you know what I mean. Yeah, no, yeah. I totally hear you. So, so that's probably as good a time as any to transition into the next game. Um, yeah, yeah. So, Lightning Returns, Final Fantasy Thirteen is the not to be confused with Final Fantasy Thirteen. Just kidding, but um, <laughs> um, that was released a couple years after Thirteen Two. It came out in 2013, 2014 for the PS3 and uh, 360. Um, all, all of these games came out on the PS3 360, I should add, and later came out on PC, where they are still readily available, um, if you're so inclined, dear listener. But, uh, Audra, this is the game that you've had the most experience with, I believe, so I want to give the yes. floor over to you a second. Let's, can we, let's talk about Lightning Returns. Well, basically, it, I don't want to say it picks up immediately after 13.2, because it's, kind of hundreds of hundreds of years after the fact basically it goes into that given the events of 132 the world's kind of gone to poop pretty much yeah that's that's <laughs> that's, that's that's definitely um part of it yep 
and like none of the survivors can age from the moment that the chaos was unleashed and they can't have children anymore so they're just spending like an eternity i guess in limbo basically yeah they're basically in limbo because caius killed etro and in doing so killed the concept of time mm-hmm. so yeah, time now- time and death it's kind of like um it's kind of like when sisyphus when he before he's punished uh the greek the greek mythology of sisyphus uh taking chains and and tying up uh death itself mm-hmm. so that he can't die and like no one dies for 30 days do you guys know this old greek myth yeah, yeah. so yeah i'm very familiar um we yeah. actually referenced it recently when we were talking about Hades. Such a good game. Hades is magnificent. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of like Caius did that, but he didn't just tie up Etro. He put a stop to Etro, so it's like, oh, yeah. no more death. So we're just kind of hanging. I always think about also, if anyone's seen The Good Place, it's kind of like the last two episodes of The Good Place where they're trying to figure out what to do with the concept of eternity being boring. But <laughs> yeah. But that's not the only thing, though, because Lightning Returns, doesn't it also seem to have, like, there's this encroaching, like, miasma, almost like the nothing that's, like, shrinking the viability of where people can live? Oh, well, basically, the world's going to end in about 13 days or so. Bunavelza brings back Lightning to become the savior to collect souls, to, like, go into a new reborn world. Right away, this game kind of has a pretty dark premise. Like, like you're 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 basically tasked with um, not saving the world initially, but preparing for the end of it. Mm-hmm. It kind of a like a Valkyrie role. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very much so. Which makes sense considering her design in thirteen two is very Valkyrie esque. Oh, that's a good point. They should have, if you're going to do a Mass Effect DLC, there should have been like a DLC to give Lightning like. A Lenneth slash, um, yeah, Valkyrie Valkyrie profile. That would have been rad. Oh, it could have been. But Lightning Returns does um, have an emphasis on outfits. Oh, yes. It's as if the the battle system from Final Fantasy XIII and then Final Fantasy X-2 had a baby. That is, that's, that's a really good way of describing it, actually. Yeah, so Lightning Returns has this focus on... It's a single-person battle system this time. You yes. only control Lightning. There are no party members. But she gets to wear cool outfits called Schema, or Schemata. I think it's Schema for singular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that yeah. changes her appearance and gives her different abilities, like different jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty much a job system that they've just masked as dress-up, pretty, pretty dress-up. Right. Oh, right. I I had forgotten about this. And this is really important because it does essentially maintain a very similar concept to the rest of the games in the trilogy. Because even though you're playing as one character, the ATB bar is running simultaneously for the three outfits. So Mm -hmm. you get to directly control all three characters uh schema schemata which is basically kind of like if you were swapping through and controlling all three characters yeah like the paradigm switch and yeah exactly yeah that's that was a pretty wild idea i think the biggest challenge was probably the like the execution of it visually and like in the actual combat 
I mean, so many of the outfits just don't seem to be very fitting for her personality. <laughs> this game has a very weird fixation on putting lightning in different outfits. And mm-hmm. um, I, I, I maybe I'm not the right person to be saying something like this, but I distinctly recall like Matomo Toriyama in interviews talking about how like he was like a oh. little bit in love with lightning and how he they, like made her cup size bigger in this. Yes, game. I recall that. So oh, yeah, it's, glad it's not just me. I didn't know that. That's creepy. That's a little creepy, right? Like, um, in general, I think Lightning Returns does a grave disservice to its characters. Yes. They have pretty much everyone comes back from the original game and, like, Noel comes into it and Caius and Yule. Mm-hmm. And so does Saz and Snow. Oh, Saz makes me so depressed because he doesn't do anything, really. <laughs> they they wrote him out of this plot to the point that they mm-hmm. give Noel his idol on in the last cutscene. I know. Oh, right. Yes, they do. It was so sad. It was really sad. Like, honestly, and this, this is really where, when I say that 13-2 wasn't a good sequel to 13, Pat, I don't really mean that. Like, I think gameplay-wise, I think it's an ex- it is an improvement over that, that game. But when you take the trilogy as a whole, I don't think they form a cohesive A, B, C story. It's each of these games is doing something very different. And unfortunately, Lightning Returns is neither a good conclusion to the trilogy, nor is it a good sequel to 13-2. Because the way they handle the Caius Yule Noel stuff is frankly insulting. The one thing it does that I do give them credit for is I love Lumina. Lumina is very fun. Yeah, she's like the weird jester character who kind of looks like Sarah, right? Yeah. And then it turns out she has a very big connection to Lightning that is kind of a neat twist. Yeah, I think um, from a storytelling perspective uh, and considering like psychology of humanity, uh, the character Lumina and what they're doing is really interesting. But I think you're right. For being considered like a trilogy with quote unquote direct sequels, like these are almost like three standalone games that are kind of like uh, fan fictioning their way from one into the other. Which, which you could argue is in keeping with the Fabula Nova Chrysalis concept. We want different That's stories. That's actually a good point. Yes. But however, when I look at something like the relationship between Final Fantasy 13 and Final Fantasy Type 0, which we'll get into later, but that game that was originally called Akito 13, like those games, that is more, it's more like an anthology where like these are completely different stories, completely different settings with different characters, but recurring elements. Um, the other th- the other thing about that whole thing, which is that, that I find a little weird, this is not related to Lightning Returns specifically though, is that Final Fantasy kind of already is that. Um, Final Fantasy is already an anthology series of video games with disconnected plots, disconnected characters, but recurring concepts. The concept of crystals, warriors of light, um, the battle between light and darkness, um, recurring elements like chocobos, moogles, chaos. I'm going (laughs) to kill chaos. Oh man. If, if Jack final fantasy showed up in 13, two, like Caius wouldn't have stood a chance. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh my god. <laughs> we had to get a Stranger of Paradise reference in here somewhere, didn't we? Definitely. Um, but but my point is just that, like, yeah, in terms of the Fabula Nova Chrysalis mythology 
sort of muddies the waters in that regard in that, okay, yes, we do have this overarching element. We have these deities. Bonavelza is a big element in Lightning Returns and is goes so far as to be the final boss of the game. Spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, as, it, as it stands, I don't think the significance of that is really impacted on the player. It really just becomes like, oh, okay, this is another JRPG teenager goes to kill a god story. I like how they all like group jump kicking in the end sequence. Yes. <laughs> That's, that is the most campy thing I have ever seen in a Final Fantasy game, and I kind of love it. I kind of love it. It may sound like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of really down on this game, but okay, Audra, I think you, you can you and I both agree at least, though, that Our Lady Returns is still a very fun video game, despite it's having a bad story. Fun. Yeah, it's like, very so, fun. So, and yeah. I actually, I quite like the little, they have a it hasn't been fully translated, I don't think, but they had a, like a novel epilogue about what happens after the ending of the game, and I thought oh, that yeah. was an interesting. Like what I've read about that, I was like, "Oh, why could it that have come out instead of the fifteen novel?" Isn't <laughs> isn't that by isn't that also by June June Aishima? Because I believe that. Um, I think it was Daisuke Watanabe. Oh, okay. So Daisuke Watanabe is the lead writer on the Thirteen trilogy. Yeah. Okay, uh, Aishima is a story consultant on those games and also wrote most of the spin-off novels, um, most of which have been translated into English and very I recently, I too. I was bummed that one wasn't. It's like a, one about a reporter that's investigating people having new lives or remembrances of past lives and stuff. Yes, maybe we'll see it one of these days because um, I would be interested to read that myself. The 13 supplementary material... Well, we could we could go on a whole thing about how annoying it is that you have to read supplementary material to get more out of this story. It is in, 15, they are interesting. Fifteen's worse because you got games, movies, and all kinds of stuff. And and it actually detracts from the story in that situation. But yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, lightning. Re- but lightning returns also being like the series' first attempt at an open world, having this Majora's Mask esque ticking ticking time clock that is nevertheless extremely generous. Um, yes, it's. I usually don't like time limit games, mm-hmm. time limits in games, but I actually thought this one was pretty good, especially when you use the chronostasis and you can like freeze time for a little bit. Yeah, it like hardly ever becomes an issue that you actually run out of time to do what you need to do. It's it's it seems it's almost there just for like flavor. Mm-hmm. I think if you're trying to like quote unquote hundred percent lightning uh, returns, yes. uh, that that time management does become a little more intensive. So it's like if you're just going for the main plot, you're fine. But if you're really trying to save everybody and do all the things and get all the costumes and all that stuff uh you get the time crunch is real i could see that yeah i could see that too i I haven't revisited this game since launch um although i mean given my track record the fact that i still have my ps3 hooked up you never know (laughs) um uh that's not an invitation don't put don't put lightning returns on a pole salosi um uh do it <laughs> <laughs> no i think that's the thing that like it, it it really is a fun game like i do mm-hmm. think there's so much flawed about the premise uh and i wish there was so much there's so much more that i wanted to do that i couldn't like before we started recording like i think we were joking about vanille being the pope and yes. uh like i wanted to just like sit down and talk to vanille and ask her a hundred questions 
that essentially boil down to like WTF. And that's just not there. I want that opportunity to just be like, what are you doing and why? Fortunately, she kind of gets stuck in the end part of the mm-hmm. story. So you don't really get a chance to really talk to her as well, much as some of the other characters even. It's, and it's the same with um with Snow, um, who Snow in this game has made a complete 180 from his 13 counterpart. Now he's this brooding loner mm-hmm. of a man. He's about to turn Seath because somewhere down the line he became a Lassie again. Um, thanks to Cactuar, apparently. So, uh, thanks for that, Cactuar. Um, Cactuar is a falci in this universe, huh? Um, but now, what? So here's and so Snow is now like the patron of this big city. He's like a leader. He's lonely. He's nihilistic. He's like kind of just waiting for the Seath curse to take him over so he can die. And then when he meets Lightning, even though they're ostensibly, I feel like on the same side. They just start fighting, and I feel like this whole mm-hmm. story could have been resolved if she just sat down with all these characters and was just like, "Hey, this is what's happening. Can you help me?" Yeah, they don't do that ever, and that just doesn't make sense. I think Fang, among all the characters, is the one that's actually most like um, hospitable, and even she was because um, I saw. I reconnected with some of the things they were saying that she wasn't fully trusting lightning. Right. But she was, she was like the one, like in all of the like plot subplot and events that you can do, like the one that's most willing to like help out and take her Mm -hmm. seriously. They don't, she doesn't, I I think the reason she doesn't trust lightning is because she's not sure it's actually lightning. Yeah, and she just doesn't know if she's connected to the place that Vanille's the Pope of. Right, 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 right. She's like, you better not be on the side of uh, Pope Land. <laughs> yeah, Fang has wants to free Vanille from Pope Land. That's what, that's yes. like part of her thing. So that's kind of yeah. So Fang's just back to her old tricks, trying to save her girlfriend, which is you yes. know at least Fang is still in that. Character. That's consistent, and that feels right. I like mm-hmm. that. Yes, yeah, I no, did totally. like the Fang and Vanille stuff. <laughs> I always like the Fang and Vanille stuff. Yes. Mm-hmm. It from a distance in a very healthy way. <laughs> so the thir- yeah, the thirteen games, as we've pretty much, I think we've covered pretty clearly. Those games just have, in general, they're a very uneven experience. Well, I do still think there is value in them. I think gameplay wise, if you're just looking for a fun, expansive JRPG to sink your teeth into, and you're maybe and you're maybe not super invested in this story, Lightning Returns can still be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um. Just uh, if you are super invested in this story, then I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way to sum it up, I think. Um, Square would eventually put the Fabula Nova Chrysalis um, branding to bed. Um, They really kind of tried to distance themselves from it after the perceived failure of 13. Um, However, we would still get one more game under that branding. This is Final Fantasy Type-0, which was originally released for the PlayStation Portable and later came out as an HD version on the PlayStation 4, complete with a demo for Final Fantasy XV, which was, I think, their main way of trying to sell that game. Uh, I'm getting Dragon Quest VIII Final Fantasy XII vibes from this release. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm the only one here who's played Type-0, right? Am I correct in saying this? Yes, I know roughly the story. 
Fair, fair enough. Okay, so I mean, I'll try, I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to expound on it a little bit and try to keep it brief. But um, Type Zero is very interesting because this is probably the closest thing we ever got to seeing what the Fabula Nova Crystallis concept is like in execution. In that you have a completely new setting, this land of Orients that's perpetually at war with each other. Orients is split into four city states. Each one of them has a crystal, and that crystal can turn people into the sea. Um, Lassie in the Type Zero verse are treated less like dangerous soldiers and more like nukes. Um, in Type Z- in Type Zero, uh, there are two different kinds of Lassie. They're now split into Primus and Secondus, and the deployment and the deployment of Lassie in battle is actually strictly forbidden. Um, they have a they have a codex like a treaty between these four nation states, kind of like the Geneva Conventions. I was gonna that, say this sounds like Geneva Convention. They this and this game makes a lot of allusions to real to real war. Um, very early on, one of the city states gets wiped out because one of them casts Ultima and destroys their capital. Um, and the deployment of a Lassie is treated like the release of a tactical nuke. Like, um, it's, it, it basically grinds the whole battle to a halt. Um, type zero also does not screw around in its opening hours with, this is going to be the final fantasy that's about war and death. Um, a chocobo gets shot in the opening cutscene. Yeah. Yeah. I watched, I was replaying it again before we recorded this and I'd forgotten like how, like you have this whole sequence where like this blood soaked bird runs in and saves its owner from a bunch of soldiers, get shot. And then the owner like kind of is crawling towards it, trying to heal it, but he's not strong enough to cast a heal spell. And it's like, wow, this is grim. (laughs) Whoa. That's intense. I really want to play this game. And then the owner stuff Mm -hmm. happens with the owner, which is sad too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, and um, type zero's other conceit is that in order to keep this perpetual battlefield going, the crystals, which are heavily implied to be they're They're not called Falci in the game, but they are connected to the goddess Lindsay and are heavily. And so basically, essentially they fulfill the same purpose. They are sentient. Um, The crystals will wipe the memories of every, whenever someone dies in Orient's, their memory is erased from everyone else's memory. Well, that was actually a plot point in Lightning Returns as well. That was what the Buenazelza was trying to do with him. Oh, that's interesting. See, I forgot about that. Yeah. He was trying to like get rid of everyone's memories of the people that died before mm-hmm. the end of the world. Oh, right. Right. Yep, so that is a recurring element, and that shows up again in Type Zero. They have, like, a cemetery full of unmarked graves for people they don't remember anymore. Um, summons in this game. Your character can can you can summon an Eidolon in battle. I, I should probably back up a bit. Um, Final Fantasy Type Zero is an action RPG, and it is one for the PlayStation Portable. It was directed by Hajime Tabata, who would go on to direct Final Fantasy XV, and was also responsible for crisis core and the third birthday um so one of those games is good and it's not the third birthday and um and but but basically he he was very familiar with the psp architecture um we never got the psp version we had to get the hd version which is fine it's 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 very glossy and doesn't and the conversion to hd isn't perfect but it is a serviceable version of this game but um type zero being an action rpg with very fast-paced combat and an emphasis on scoring critical hits, 
Um, basically, enemies can do a lot of damage very quickly, so your idea is to keep dodging until you line up a perfect shot called a kill site, and then land a critical hit to do massive damage to enemies. Um, Type 0 also lets you summon Eidolons in battle, you know, your classics Ifrit, Shiva, etc., but at the cost of one of your characters' lives. Um, it drains the character's HP and makes it so you can't use them in that battle anymore. Um, type, type Zero has a very expansive cast. Um, you're playing as Class Zero, who are basically at a military academy in one of the Four Kingdoms. Sort of like Class Seven from um, the Trails series. And um, so you have a whole bunch of different playable characters to choose from. But... Um, that's one of those things that I always thought was super interesting about this game is just that death is an ever-present factor of their lives. And because they don't remember it, they sort of treat it glibly. Like um, summoning in this game, there's cutscenes where you have like a group of summoners effectively performing a mass suicide because that's how they call the Eidolons forth. Like, it's pretty, it's pretty freaky stuff. Wow. Yeah, I need to play this. I if I would highly recommend it, Pat. I'll, um, uh, and and also if you're if you're the kind of person who wants platinums, uh, Final Fantasy Type Zero is the easiest platinum I've ever gotten. It's um you can easily do it on a first playthrough. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, as as a game, Type Zero is a little bit frustrating. It's just because it's totally a handheld RPG, and playing it on console, its limitations are very obvious. Um. But with all that being said, I still think it is a very interesting experiment for the Final Fantasy franchise. Um, also, I w- I'm just going to say, if you do play it, play it in Japanese. The English dub for Type Zero had like a budget of five dollars. I'm pretty sure. So it, it's very it's 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 it, it's not even the actor's fault. The script is clunky and it doesn't sound like they were like reading their lines in the same room at all or anything like that. So it just it just sounds stilted. Hmm. Um, that's good ja- to know yeah so to so go into the settings and put on the Japanese voices um, when you, the first chance you get and that's going to be your best experience for it but um, Type Zero also has just an immensely tragic story as um, I, don't, I mean we'll get no, I don't want to get into spoilers for you two since you guys haven't played it but um, it definitely ends on a very down note um, which I suppose is kind of in keeping with this series it makes sense given the subject material Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that definitely. Tabata was very good, I think, at picking out themes and exploring them in his games. Yes. Um, yes. With, yeah, which we can get into shortly. But um, yeah, I don't really have anything else to say about Type Zero. Uh, but I'm sorry if I'm like monologuing a little bit here, but um, it, it's a good game. We did a podcast on it like way back in the day when it first came out, so you could probably go hunt that down. Not a retro encounter, but I believe it was on Random Encounter. Um. What I remember about it is that all the characters are named after playing cards. Like they the are, numbers, and then Jack, Queen, King, Ace, right? Yes, the main character being Ace, um, who uses like a deck of playing cards that he like throws. It is one of my favorite Final Fantasy main character des- designs. He's really cool. Yeah, and like the old trailers for Agito suggested, there was this theme around old playing cards. But what that theme was was never really made clear in the trailers. So I was glad they kind of stuck with it somehow. This game also has one of my favorite Takiharu Ishimoto scores ever. Um, Pat, yeah. I don't know if, have you listened to the soundtrack? Yeah, and I'm much... I'm going to get in trouble for this. 
Um, I don't like the World Ends With You's soundtrack. Ooh, ooh, Pat. I know. I get, ooh, I I get can be friends. so much hate for having this opinion. <laughs> I just think they wanted so hard to write, especially for the vocals, they wanted so hard to be Persona, and they just aren't, and it's not even close. So, I have mixed feelings about Ishimoto, but I do love the music to Typo. I, I have listen to that soundtrack at least a dozen times when when uh the theatrhythm final fantasy game came out and curtain call came out and you could get they already had some songs from type zero uh and you could buy more through dlc uh those were my favorite songs to play i think those oh, yeah they had two songs from uh live alive so you know <laughs> That's some good representation right there from old square stuff. God, we need a new theater rhythm. Yeah, like now. Now, 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 please. I square, want please put it on Switch. Yep, put I'll buy, I'll buy two. Game on Switch. I'll You'll... buy two. <laughs> yep. I will buy all of the DLC you release for it. Um, but yes, Ishimoto's score is phenomenal. Type Zero is probably the reason I'm such a big fan of his, although I'm also very fond of his Dissidia soundtrack. Um, oh yeah, his work on Dissidia is really good too. But Duo music- Dutton soundtrack is a, a favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, yes. But um, it, it, his score for Type Zero is just full of these like sweeping, epic, orchestral tracks and these vocal co- themes that are just phenomenal. The opening, the opening song, um, the beginning of the end is just that's burned into my memory. And, yeah, that sounds so good. And it's such a great cutscene too, with like the whole cast rising from the flames slowly before throwing their cloaks into the air and all pulling out their weapons. Like it's just it's just a really neat, stylish opening that really grab grabs your attention. Um, well, gameplay wise, I don't think Type Zero is anywhere near the best game in the franchise. Again, it is still sadly the the HD version is still plays like a PSP game and the, the, all the limitations that come with that. Um, Story wise and thematic wise. I think it is a it is a terrific experience, and I would highly recommend it to you guys and to any other Final Fantasy fans who might be curious and might have skipped out on this. Um, but we're not we're not quite done yet because Type Zero came packaged with Episode Du Sky, the um, demo for Final Fantasy Fifteen, which is our first at long last our first experience of the game formerly known as Versus Thirteen. Um, boy. Versus 13. This was like the holy grail for Final Fantasy fans for a long time. Everyone, we all wanted to know what this thing was, right? It's it's mm-hmm. all I wanted for a very, very long time. It's all I wanted. Because the notion that Tetsuya Nomura, the, who was, at this point was still very famous as the creator of Kingdom Hearts and a very big character designer, was making like a dark Final Fantasy action RPG that from the looks of those early trailers was going to play very Kingdom Hearts-esque, that spoke to my imagination. And I think because we knew so little about it, aside from these terrific trailers and that haunting piece of music that Shimamura wrote, Somnus. Oh, I'm um, going to get to that. Oh boy, we p- people were excited for it. But unfortunately, behind closed doors, Type Zero was struggling. Um, the same reasons that all of the other Fabula Nova games have been struggling on um, bloated development times, lack of clear 
direction. Um, the tools they were working with, they were not equipped to create the kind of game they wanted. Um, I didn't know this until I was doing research for this podcast, but apparently I was always under the impression that thir- that Versus 13 was just supposed to be running on the white engine, on the engine that um, was being used for Final Fantasy 13. No, they were trying to create a whole separate engine for this thing. Again, um, they, they called the Ebony engine. And it's just like, why would you do this? The, the business decisions Square was making at this time were very baffling. And unfortunately, I think Versus 13 just, for whatever reason, due to, due to all these myriad issues, just did not materialize. Instead, at E3 2013, we found out that the game would be was being rebranded as the next mainline entry to the Final Fantasy series, um, Final Fantasy 15, and uh, that is also a very good reveal trailer. Yes, it is. Yes, that was cool. That was I was extremely hyped for that. Of course, it was all pre-rendered, and none of it resembles the final game in any shape, way, shape, or form. But oh my god, imagine what if. Um, but the game wouldn't come out until final f- until 2016. Um, it had switched directors, Hajime to Hajime Tabata, director of Type Zero, um, which I think, all things considered, why I am kind of sad Nomura lost his spot in the game. I think Tabata was a pretty solid choice. I think so too. Yeah, he had experience with this franchise. He had experience with these with um, Fabio Nova Chrysalis. Although um, the other thing about Fifteen is that it, it is not it is really not a Fabio Nova game anymore. It um the references to the mythology have been all but scrubbed. Um, uh, really, the only things that remain are um in the Kingsglaive movie. Um, you can see the portrait of Etro in the background. Um, during one scene. I like that movie, for the record. I, I like it too, but it doesn't really work. Um, and I wish that it was in the game. <laughs> I just like that the main the main character is voiced in English. Oh, by Aaron, Aaron, Aaron Paul. Paul. Aaron Paul voicing Nick. You yeah, just, I, I, you I just want a... him to be Jesse. You just want him to go, bitch! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so 15's development was similarly troubled. And I, well, I think that the final game came out and is more or less, I think, the game that was originally envisioned. It is an open world. It focuses on the main character, Prince Noctis, going on an adventure with his friends. A lot of those core concepts did carry through, but the game itself is pretty clearly unfinished and almost has a reverse problem of 13 in that it starts off really open and then becomes super linear. Yes. Yes, absolutely. But we all know that I like Final Fantasy XV. Can I get you guys' opinion? Let's let's start with you, Pat. I just want to go down with you. What, what do you think about this game? Um, I had a lot of fun with it. I think you have to kind of turn off your critical mind if you want to get the most out of it. Like I personally really loved the sequence with Leviathan and some of the things that happen around there uh, with our friend uh, Luna. Luna Freya, uh, if you want. Luna, Luna, Fre- Luna Freya, the heroine formerly known as Stella. Yeah. All of the criticism I've heard about that scene are are probably warranted. That doesn't change the fact that in my mind, it's it's like a standout moment for me. Probably because I just, I just didn't see it coming, but it's like people go, well, that's the problem with it. Like it seems to 
they did it just to do it and it was mean um i don't know i thought it was a great scene i i like most of the things that happen in the game i think the game uh, makes sense i like all of the dlc especially the ignis dlc the ignis dlc is phenomenal yes um, and comrades is actually fun too comrades was fun I thought it was it, it was kind of bland setting wise, but at the same time, it was gameplay wise. It was pretty fun. Yeah. So I think there's just there's so much going on that you can you can make the argument that. You know, it might not be amazing, but it's fun enough to be like to invest in it. And I think. Had it been versus 13, I think versus 13 probably would have had similar flaws and similar triumphs like. One of my favorite things from like an action RPG perspective, I can't remember the name of it. Do you guys remember that bonus dungeon where like the whole thing is just like an environment puzzle? There's no fight. Oh, pity. Yeah, Pityos. The Pityos ruins. Yeah, and then like there's that statue that collapses at the end that you gotta like balance. Like that felt so much like like I felt like a kid playing Tomb Raider again. Like I was so happy playing that. And like, yeah, it, its execution is a little eh. But like, it didn't stop me from like having way too much fun with it, and so I just think because I wanted versus thirteen so bad, maybe that's why I liked it so much. And Yoko Shimomura has two tribute albums to her. One came out in '08, and another in 2013. And in 2008, the album called Dramatica, the very best of Yoko Shimomura, has a bonus track tagged on it, and it was the trailer music. Uh, for versus 13 and it's labeled as such you know on the packaging uh, mm-hmm. so it says somnus from final fantasy versus 13 and then uh when you buy memoria which is the 2013 album there's a bonus track on there and it's i can't remember it's omnis um, omnis lacrima yeah it was omnis lacrima and then it's attributed to final fantasy 15 right because by then they made the announcement um and you know corrected the rebranding or whatever I'm just so happy about two things with that song. Three things. One, it's an amazing song. That 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 solo vocal operatic thing. It's like, oh, it's it's one of Shimomura's best works. Like hands down. I think that whole soundtrack is terrific. I, I do too, but I think that song, her like her early vision for what she wanted to do with this game is just so strong. And then you know, two that they. Uh, they didn't drop that song when they rebranded it. They still used it. Uh, and the where it's used was such a huge surprise to me. I didn't know when I was playing through 15 when and where it was going to show up. I went into that game fairly blind. I wasn't reading a lot. I didn't want to hear other people's opinions. And wow, when Somnus came in where it did, I I was not expecting it. And it was just because you remember when you first boot up the game, you play. There's the there's the the vocalless version on the title screen. Yeah, I remember. Right, and then you get to that part. The or can we spoil? We're spoiling, right? It, it's it's we've we've done a spoiler cast the, on this game. The, I think fifteen. The, the statute is up. Yeah, the Cerberus slash Ifrit 
sequence. I think one of those two fights got like retconned in in a DLC. The, Cer- or- the Cerberus was added in DLC, but basically it's the scene where you're in Insomnia. You return to the city at the end of the game, which would have had a lot more impact if you'd been there in the beginning of the game. Glares at Kingsglaive. Anyway, <laughs> continue, Pat. Still, well, yeah, it still has a lot of impact. And when that song plays and you're just like, oh, no, like, yes, for yeah, me, I- who had heard that song way back in 06, had a CD version of it that I still, I still listen to Dramatica like two or three times a year. It's such a good album. Like it's always worth pulling back out and listening to on, on long drives and stuff. Like I have, I don't know. My soundtrack collection has uh, grown and shrunk many times over the years, depending on how much money I do or don't have. But Dramatica stays with, I have it signed by Yoko Shimomura. That's that's awesome. That's my humble brag. Yeah, I have. She signed that and the old Live Alive soundtrack. So you know, uh, <laughs> that's me. You, uh, but uh, I specifically I, had her sign Dramatica because of uh, Somnus. Uh, that track just oh, it's really good. It's real good. I agree with you that 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 was a moment for me in 15 where I was so excited to finally hear that in a video game that I think at the time I really was like willing to overlook a lot of the game's flaws. And to an extent, I still am. I still think that it like 13 has a lot of merit despite being, you know, a fairly flawed video game in and of itself. I think what it does well, it does so well that I'm I really I can't help but like it. Yes. Um. So, Audra, thank you for all that, Pat. I really do appreciate your, especially your insight on the music of the game um, is really, really phenomenal. Um, Audra, can I can I get your thoughts on 15? Because I, I know that you've played this one too, right? Yeah, I've actually finished it around the time when it first came out. I haven't seen like in some of the new additions they've added in. Like, you know, they mm-hmm. added some plot with Shiva and Ifrit. Yes, they did. They did add a lot of stuff after the fact. But I actually really liked it. I thought it was a fun road trip story. And I mean, it has some flaws. And I do think that the ending kind of has the opposite problem of it kind of has a weaker ending. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) But it actually was a good game. Speaking of weaker endings, uh, you also read the book as same as I, didn't (laughs) you? (laughs) Yes, that Uh, was an interesting experience. That awful, awful book that they released. Um, Yeah, Dawn of the Future Final Fantasy XV is intended to be it was the uh, it was the a write-up of the unreleased DLC that they were going to do, like the second wave of DLC that was going to quote unquote finish the game and then also give us an alternate ending because people were a little miffed on the main ending. Oh, the wave! Right, the wave that didn't happen. They were they are gonna have a Luna episode and an what an R and A episode. Yes, is that it? They were gonna do Arden, and they still did Arden. They released Arden, and it's the worst DLC for the game. And I do not recommend that you go play it because it's the only one I haven't played. I bought it, but I haven't played it yet. I I reviewed it for the site when it first came out, and I wish I could go back and give it a lower score. Um, (laughs) Because in hindsight, it's fun to play, but story-wise, I do not like what it does to Arden's character. Arden went from being like one of my favorite Final Fantasy villains to being one of my least favorite because of that DLC. Um, Ooh, that's not good. It really ruins his character, IMHO. Yeah, it's just one of those. It, Final 15 is a, a flawed experience, but it is ultimately still, I think, one worth having. Especially now that all the DLC is out and you can readily get it in one collection. Mm-hmm. Um, your safe, your your download file is going to be enormous for it, <laughs> but, you know, it might be worth it, maybe. 
Um, had cute dogs too. It did have cute dogs. Yeah. Can you pet the dogs? You there is a dedicated pet the dog button. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I love that website that does reviews based on whether or not you can pet the dog. (laughs) Remember the Lightning Returns dog? Yes. Never forget the low poly dog from Lightning Returns. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I do want to before before we wrap this up. I do want to get into while Final Fantasy 15 is not part of Fabula Nova Chrysalis, there are elements of its story that do retain um, connections. Um, Namely, the idea that the both Noctis and Luna get their powers from their crystals and are given um, a destiny that they have to fulfill is very similar to the concept of Fauci and Lissy. In fact, I would go, I would, I, I would hazard a guess that they were intended to be Lissy in the early draft for final fantasy versus 13, given those early trailers. There's also um, the concept of apparently the, of the demons, the enemies in final fantasy 15 all used to be people. Um, that were turned into monsters. That's also right. very similar to the Seath. Very Seath. Yeah. Very Seath. Yep. You can see those remnants. You're right. I hadn't thought about that. That's very true. I also think maybe the line of kings um, and everything having to do you know, with, with uh, Arden and all of that might have some Lissi-ish things going on. I, I always thought Arden was very similar to Caius in that regard, how they're like, yep. they were they were chosen by destiny at one point, but then felt betrayed by the entity that gave them their destiny. Caius being betrayed by Etro, Arden being betrayed by Bahamut slash the crystal. Yep. Um, and also, th- I just found this out very recently. Apparently in the Japanese, um, Noctis Lucius Kylum Lucis is pronounced in Japanese as Lushishu, which is also the same way as Lis. It's pronounced and written the same way that Lisi is. Lisi is pronounced as Lushi in Japanese. Mm. So Lucis, Lisi. Apparently, also Kylum is also connected to Lisi because that is supposed to come from the French seal or CL, I believe. I'm probably butchering these other languages. I apologize. Um, this is not my forte. But um, which is also connected to the Latin Kylum for Sky. Um, so there definitely was a lot of attention paid, at the very least, to the way to Noctis's name. Yeah. Um, and how it connects to the Fabula Nova concept. But unfortunately, Fabula Nova Chrysalis is forever going to remain a footnote in the Final Fantasy history as... A very ambitious concept that maybe ultimately didn't pan out the way that it was supposed to, but we still got some pretty interesting games out of it. So thank you so much for joining me today, Pat and Audra. Do we have any final thoughts, any lingering thoughts on these games before we close out for the day? Uh, Starting with you, Audra. Well, they're at least fun, regardless of anything else. So That's a fair way of putting it. They're off there, fun video games. I think they're successful in that regard. Mm Mm-hmm. In my opinion. <laughs> hey, there you go. That, that sometimes that's all you need. It's just a fun video game. And for for you, Pat, uh, closing thoughts. I hope that someday, a decade or two from now, when they're, you know, they're like VR remastering every Final Fantasy or something insane like that, <laughs> someone goes through and does like a very proper game that looks at Lindsay and Etro and the one whose name I forgot. Um, Pulse. And, what is it? Pulse. Yeah, Pulse. So, someone like like 
really intentionally like make just make a game called don't even put the name word Final Fantasy. Just make a game called Fabula Nova Crystallis, and just like the game is is a game about the central lore and goes big. Uh, resources were limited, time was limited, but also capability was limited in doing what I think they wanted to do with this story. And so, like, maybe just do it later. Don't forget about it. Don't let it be a footnote, Square Enix. If you're still Square Enix, or if you're Sony Studios or whatever you are 10 years from now. Oh, let's not. <laughs> I really hope not. Do I don't want them to be bored. fun with this concept and do something big with this concept because it was still a good concept. You don't have to try to retcon or tie all the stuff that we talked about today together, but just those gods and the lore, the Palsy, let's see, do something big and awesome with it because it's still a good concept. Hey man, I'm kind of like an Ivalice Alliance. Exactly. Yeah, Ivalice Alliance or the, the, the whatever the, the, the bad mana one was or um, world of mana world of mana see yeah. i'm still i'm still over here waiting for type one to the to this day type i want to revisit the world of orients because type zero was really cool dang it well you know they could and if nothing else i mean if they just want to stick it in 14 you know there's been some really good uh Ivalice content in 14 it's like that's side true Four, 14 is kind of the all-purpose um we're gonna dump uh this reference into this game yeah and I, th- I think it's also a testing ground to see, you know, to what extent, you know, fans find something interesting and participate in it. So do it there. And if you think it's good, give me type one, people. Give me type one. Yeah, I would be, I would be down. I mean, Tabata is no longer with Square Enix, but we do have the Luminous Productions working on Forspoken, so, um, which looks to be carrying on the torch at the very least for the kind of open world with magic concepts that 15 was sort of envisioned as so Mm -hmm. um which i'm very curious about that game and i'll also say like i said before even if tabata's not working for square enix people do outside contracting to keep things going you know that's true yasumi matsuna yep you can still do it you can still do it guys you can still make an awesome game using these concepts using the lore using sort of the basic premise but do something other and and don't be afraid yeah go go big and bold that's that's my message it's my message to the devs you don't have to do it now but do it someday that'd be nice well i know for sure at least that at least uh three of us would definitely be interested in picking the things up where fabio nova chrysalis left off yes but thank you, listeners, so much for tuning in to this episode of Retro Encounter. Um, if you liked what you heard, then be sure to, you know, like us, um, rate us, review us, wherever you listen to your podcasts, be that Spotify or wherever else. Um, you can also be sure to check out our sister podcasts of Random Encounter and Rhythm Encounter and all the other amazing content that RPGFan.com puts out. Read Pat's soundtrack reviews, read Audra's um, game reviews. They're all terrific. Um, we also have a merch store now, so you can go to Public and get a bunch of RPG Fan branded apparel. Maybe you'll be like Marcos Gaspar, and you'll be the second person to buy an RPG Fan onesie for their newborn child. Uh, thank you so much for that, Marcos. By the way, that made my day. Um it's so cute. Um, it's so adorable. Oh my god. Yeah, if I if I had another kid, they'd be wearing that onesie. 
<laughs> oh man. Uh, so, but as far as for what you have to look forward to from Retro Encounter, just keep an eye out because during October we're going to be doing a month of adventure games. We're going to be playing Secret of Monkey Island, Broken Age, and The Wolf Among Us. Um, so please look forward to those episodes. Thank you so much for joining us, dear listeners. As the man himself likes to say, good night and good luck. Thank you.